It is a joy just to continue in the spirit of what Mark shared and, and how he prayed and the wonder that it is for us to have a connection with God and through our relationship with him to experience the joy and the benefits that come with him. And we're going to go to Psalm 146. I invite you to take a Bible to open it to Psalm 146 where it's a very short and brief psalm, but it describes so well who God is and therefore why a relationship with him and being invited into a relationship with him should get all of us excited. It should be something that we are profoundly thankful for that we could have this opportunity. If we aren't profoundly thankful for it or excited about it, it might be because we, we haven't really heard what he's like and just how good he really is to then have the opportunity joyfully to get to know him. In this psalm, uh, like I said, just a few verses, only 10 verses long, but in the whole of scripture, one of the most beautiful descriptions of God's character and why he's worthy of our trust. It says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. And that concludes our reading. But hopefully you have seen this wonderful description of what God is like and how he cares for us. We take, as a church family, the opportunity at the beginning of the year to consider together and remind ourselves if we've heard it before or if we are newer and have never heard it uh, and are only hearing it for the first time, why do we exist? Why are we here as a body of believers, as a gathered church? We say it's to love God, to care for one another, and to communicate his word. And that comes from a time when Jesus was on this earth and someone asked him, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And he responded by saying, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he said, and there's a second, similar, or like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we take from Jesus' summary of loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and loving one another, those first two parts, that we exist to love God, to worship him. And when we were in Psalm 146 last week, we saw that, that the psalmist opens up by announcing this invitation in Hebrew, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then he continued to expand it, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I know it's, I want to praise the Lord from the inside out. And then I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I want to praise God in every situation and circumstance of life. 
for better, for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. I want to praise the Lord as long as I live, whatever comes my way in life. And then even beyond that, days without end, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Even when my life has ceased, even when my time here has come to an end, because of what I read in Scripture and because I know what it says about God, I know that even the end of my life is not the end of my story, and I'm going to praise him as long as I have my being, days without end, for eternity. And so the psalmist is expressing that joy, that excitement, there's sort of a crescendo in verse 1 and 2, and he's inviting all of us to do that with him. And that is the central purpose why God's people gather, is to praise him, is to worship him, that he alone is worthy of that. He's the one who can offer to us what can never be taken away from us. He can give us hope that nothing in this life can steal or take away. We sang about that when we sang in Christ alone. There are so many good gifts that we get to experience in this world, but even in their goodness, we know they're temporary. The blessings of family, the blessings of friendship, the blessings of health and jobs, all of those are good blessings and good gifts by God, but we know that they're all temporary. And when we keep God the main thing and purpose and desire of our heart, we give ourselves to the one who can never be taken from us, the one who will always be with us in every circumstance of life and even when life ends. And so we want to continually invite people to love God, to praise him, to praise him from the inside out, to praise him all their days, to know the joy of being able to praise him eternally forever in heaven. But we're, we're caught up in his excitement, but we still long to know, where does this come from? And he, as he unpacks the psalm, continues to describe describe God in such a way that we hear what this God is like and why he's worthy of this kind of praise in every circumstance. And he tells us, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob and whose hope is in the Lord as God. If we are now a community of people who love him with all our heart, soul, and mind, then there should be in our lived experience a blessedness, a joy, not just superficial happiness, but happiness is part of it. You can, you can substitute for blessed, happy. Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord. If he's a God like that and we're together worshiping him, then there is this sense that as we're able, there should be a visible joy in our relationship with God that makes other people want to ask questions. Where does that joy come from? Where does that hope come from? How can you, in all of these different circumstances of life, still find pleasure? And so when we think about loving one another and caring for one another, our desire is to live out collectively what we believe is true of God for one another in such a way that makes it attractive to other people. The quote in the back of your handout, if you have it for you, is a message of grace will attract people, but it's a culture of grace that will keep people. It, it takes a culture, an environment of grace, of feeling welcomed and belonging that keeps people coming back. 
that they're known, that their concerns and needs are known, that they're being loved and cared for, that we as a church exist to do for one another. It's the second great commandment that we're to love one another. So that's what we're considering today. What does it mean to care for one another? How can we live out together the sort of love that we see described in God himself? It's something we can do individually, but it's a challenge for all of us together because for it to be a cultural reality, something that everyone experiences, it's something that we all have to be doing and pursuing together. One of the challenges last year as a family when we had the opportunity to travel and we were for 34 consecutive days outside of the country, uh, I tried to make sure that wherever we stayed, breakfast was taken care of. But that was the only meal we knew was taken care of. (laughs) And so we knew breakfast would be included in the hotel and we'd have to figure out lunch and dinner along the way. At a few spots, we knew it might include a gathering of family, but even with family, we were going to try to bring as much family together and probably exceeding any one person's house, and we'd probably have to take them out to dinner uh, to do that. Well, at that time with a five, three, and one-year-old, the idea of two meals a day, or at least even just one meal a day, being in a public setting was kind of intimidating. (laughs) Because my whole measurement of what is a good restaurant has now changed with young kids because or the not what's good but the type of restaurants that are good for me to go to uh, because I don't want to go and then ruin anyone else's experience when they're out celebrating an anniversary or a job or something and I don't want the noisiness of my kids or their sense of freedom of movement to be a distraction and so locally I can think of okay who has loud music Uh, And therefore, if my kids are loud, they won't be a distraction. And how quickly does the food come uh, so that we're not dealing with hangry for too long uh, on the part of our kids? I just have a totally different way of measuring what is the cultural environment that's good for our family if we're going to enter into it? And then what's the cultural environment that we will clearly feel like we're a distraction in? Well, because I've been there myself a few times, I... I said to Amy, you'll, you'll experience it when we're there. It'll be hard to describe or for you to believe it until we're there. But you will never be made to feel like your kids are an intrusion to someone else. Like as a, as a whole culture, you won't feel someone roll their eyes at you because you have kids with you. And there are plenty of places here where uh, you will have someone roll their eyes at you with a sense of, why did you bring your kids along? I said, it'll be hard for you to believe, but I promise, once we're there, I don't know how long it'll take, but you'll see that there's just this overall enjoyment of the very young and the very old. And no one's made to feel bad about being very young, and no one's made to feel bad about being very old. And so I think it was the third day we were there, and we were in Croatia, uh, and we had had a full day, and we needed to stop for a, a mainly heavy appetizers on the way home just to keep everyone satisfied and it was a beautiful winery that was so nice inside we said we shouldn't go inside (laughs) we'd be better sitting on the patio outside so that we don't ruin or mess up anything on the inside and so we sit down for this meal outside and our youngest uh now needs a diaper change and so so, uh oh okay we got to go do this now let's find a restroom and so amy takes david to go find the restroom and the gentleman uh, realizes oh she needs the bathroom so he's helping her but then he quickly realizes oh she doesn't need the bathroom 
that the one-year-old needs the bathroom. And he realizes the bathroom he's about to send her to won't accommodate. It doesn't have any changing table or anything that she can do. So he's like, hold on, hold on. And in the middle of the lobby of what is so far the nicest place we've been to, he just brings cushions together and says, here you go, right in front of the doorway, and just brings everything to bear to say, you matter, and we're going to make sure you're taken care of. Our, our priority is not who's the next person to walk in the door and shouldn't need to see this. But it was just this, wow. Everything seemed to turn in this display, in this culture of hospitality to say, you're not from here. You don't speak the language, and you need something, and so we want to make sure that you feel like you're welcome here, that you're valued and that you're cherished. And if we, as a church, care for one another in the ways that this psalm describes our God, I think we would get closer and closer to that lived experience for anyone who might come and encounter us individually or encounter the church collectively. That they would say, they never made me feel like I was an intrusion being there. Whether I was fully abled or partially abled, whether I was really young or really old, or whatever my life circumstance, it was just this, this overall sense of hospitality and graciousness on the part of people uh, that they cared for me, they loved me. Uh, and I think this psalm breaks it up in three, three different ways or three words that come from this psalm for me that I think would, if we're open to it, we would feel and exhibit this kind of a culture. The first one is we seek the help of God. The statement that there is blessing and joy in all of whom find their help in the God of Jacob. That in our love and care for one another, what we're supposed to do is to collectively then seek God's help together. We, we can feel intimidated if we think that we are supposed to be the ones who then can fix all the problems or solve everything that's going on, and we'll just quickly realize we're inadequate to do that. But when we hear from this psalm that one of the best ways we can experience a sense of blessing and joy and that the burden has been lifted from us rather than burdens being added to us is not that we're called to now be the savior of everyone around us, but we are called to pursue the help of God. So it's still, the power still comes from him. The help is still resting in him. But we can seek the help of God as a community. And the main way we would do that is to do it together in prayer. If we're going to care for one another and exhibit a culture of hospitality and concern, isn't one of the most powerful ways you've ever experienced that when someone in your life is committed to praying with you? Praying for you? And when you take that posture of just desiring to know someone well enough to know how to pray for them, Again, it takes the weight off. It, it's not your responsibility to understand everything they're going through or know how to solve it all, but to commit yourself to say, I want to know you well enough and what's going on in your life that I know when you're having a bad day or I know when circumstances are tough. And you know where blessing is? Blessing is when our help is in the God of Jacob and I, I just want to know how to pray for you. 
and then in the expression of prayer and the desire to do it, to follow that up. I've encountered people in my life, I've grown up in my life surrounded by Christians who believe in prayer, but I still feel like I could do it in a, on one hand, the people that in my life I would say, I know if they say they're praying for me, they will absolutely ask me within a week how that went and how that's going. That the prayer will result in a follow-up of, hey, I, did, I, I wrote that down. I, I wasn't just saying that as a nice thing to do. I, I'm seeking the help of the God of Jacob for you, and I'm lifting you up in prayer. So I'd like to know, how is that going? How can I still keep praying for you? And for us to be a community that loves one another as we love ourselves, to fulfill the second great commandment, one of the first places for us to start is to seek the help of God together in prayer and to not do anything else until we do that. It's at one time the most basic thing, but for most of us feels like the hardest thing <laughs> to do and to remember to not run too far ahead past that. And so I don't know if you're like me, but I need tricks for how to do that, how to remember prayers and write them down. And so when I found a, a booklet uh, last year that was a simple thing, and we have copies of them uh, back at our Welcome Center, it's just a prayer guide. But what I need is something small enough to keep on me so that I actually use it, but enough space to write things down. And this little prayer guide just takes the 12 months of the year, breaks them up into four weeks, and Week one, to pray for yourself and your family. Week two, neighbors, church, and coworkers. Week three, your city and nation. Week four, the world and global outreach. And so I can now go back to last year and I can look at a few notes of things that I wrote down and wow, a year ago? This is what I was praying for? And then when I think of other people and what was going on in their circumstance, because it's written down, I can remember that that's what they were going through a year ago or world events when it gets to week four in the world and global outreach. Um, a note from the end of February, uh, the situation in India and Pakistan uh, was devol uh, devolving quickly and there was serious escalation of a potential war. Well, if you would have quizzed me about that, I forgot about that. It feels like a lot's happened in world events that I didn't remember that, but partly just finding something small enough and short enough to write things down and truthfully, I did it all the way up until July, and then it's empty after July. Uh, part of that, we did a 40 days of prayer as a church over the summer when we shared initially the plans of our, uh, the desire to expand our Sunday school wing. And so I switched from this to the 40 days of prayer, and then after the 40 days of prayer, I was lost uh, in terms of a regular writing things down. But things like this are helpful. I need things that uh, are accountable. Uh, so now for me, one of them, just to remember as I felt convicted about not praying as often or well or specifically as I should for my own family is to set reminders on my phone to do that. Uh, I am a dumb user of a smartphone. Uh, anyone who knows me very well will tell you that about me. I don't like apps. I don't download apps. When someone says the word app, I just stop listening and I move on to something else. But I realize I can't get away from my phone. I do need it for things. And so... Uh, a few months ago, I just decided to set, based on the birthday of my family, then the time of day, and so on Monday at 919, a, a note will come, a reminder, pray for David, because his birthday is September 19th. 
and then Tuesday I'll get a reminder at 11.13 to pray for Joshua because he's November 13th and then and at first I was going to do all the reminders in one day and I was like who's got time for that that's way too many interruptions in a day but if I did one a day I think I could do that um, and it's just the reminder and if you say well don't you remember your family I do but it is still really helpful to get a reminder to just say you don't know what's going on right now but you're, you're going to just take a moment and pray for them I need all the tricks I can get. I think if you're normal, you do too. So what are the tricks that you need to commit to praying together with people? Uh, for so many of us in a gathering like this, it is just remembering the names of the people that you meet on a Sunday. And again, if you said on a Sunday, I'm committed to learning 20 new names this Sunday, you won't, you'll fail. But if you said, I wanna learn one new name a Sunday, in a year of Sundays, you'll know 50 new names. Does that sound more doable? I think that's more doable. You're not going to do 20 in a day. Just don't even try. And if you try, you'll feel that you can't do it, and you'll give up on it. But if you start small, but you commit to it, you could learn a name a week. And in a year, have 50 new names that are 50 new people whose stories that you're praying with. And once you know their name, it becomes so much easier to then go further and seek the help of God together in prayer. The next thing we see is that this blessed community would not only seek the help of God, but that their hope would be in God. And so when we care for one another, we seek the help of God, but we also encourage one another in the hope of God. And I think one of the primary ways we do this is through Scripture. We can encourage one another in the hope of God through Scripture, through studying the Bible together. And so if you ask yourself, who are you praying for? And for this one, who are you reading the Bible with? If you're not, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. What I'm trying to say is, if you could answer that question, I'm reading the Bible with so-and-so, you know instantly how much more helpful that is to your journey. Yeah, I'm in a com some committed way of reading and hearing from God's word who he is and why he matters. Sometimes that means in physical space, you're together, you meet weekly at a certain location and you talk about scripture. But uh, I've seen others spontaneously who can't get together regularly because their jobs don't line up, but say, hey, I wanna read through the Bible this year. Would you do this program with me? And so they're in two separate locations, but they're now accountability for each other to say, how are you doing in reading the scripture together? And then they can have conversations about what they're reading because they're both desiring to do that together. And for us to find hope and experience the blessedness of hope, it's gonna come as we encourage one another with scripture and words. The hope has to come from outside of us. The hope ultimately comes from the Lord. But as a community, we can encourage one another in that hope if we're encouraging one another with Scripture and other words. It's, it's very natural. When we enjoy doing something and we're moved by things, we love telling other people about it. It's not hard to talk about to one another the things that we really enjoy. I saw the film 1917 on Thursday night 
and it was an amazing film. I mean, if you don't like war movies, it's a war movie. Don't go see it. But the whole film is a two-hour film sought that was edited to feel like a single-shot camera the entire time. So the camera angle never changes in the two hours of a mission of two young men who need to get ahead to a brigade to warn them about something they're not supposed to do. And so the cinematography is just as powerful as any of the acting or the storyline. And if, depend, if you don't have a gag reflex, uh, it's an incredibly powerful film. Uh, it's, I have to make a qualifier. It is a rated R movie. Um, I don't usually recommend them. Um, but it's, it's not hard for me to tell you about something that it affected me. Like, I don't know that I'm going to go watch it right away again, but I know I want to talk to someone about it. <laughs> like, in experiencing it, in seeing it, if I then know someone's done it, I, I want to talk about it. Uh, scripture is to be like that for us as we get hope from Scripture about who God is and what He's like. If we talk about it with people, then it'll stick. If we pass it on and we encourage other people in it, it will stick. Uh, there was a book uh, in my life that people kept recommending to me and enough people kept telling me I need to read it that I finally read it. It's called Love Does by Bob Goff. And so several people kept telling me, you need to read this book, you need to read this book. And I was like, when I even asked them for a summary, like, what's it about? I can't really summarize it, but just read it. Whenever that happens, I get a little bit cynical uh, in my personality. And so I would say Love Does not recommend love does to your friends uh, now that I've read the book that's just a joke but as I've read it then because I wanted to hear what all these people in my life were indicating by it well then someone bought for my kids love does for kids they read a chapter in the book and this is end of September my birthday is two weeks away and one of the stories in this book is how a dad for his birthday decided to not buy a birthday gift for himself but to go buy a birthday gift for all of his kids <laughs> they read this story two weeks before my birthday do you know how excited they were to tell me about this story that they read I said where did you hear a story like that and they're like love does I'm like why does this book keep coming into my life from other people who say it's great now I don't so I'm the bad dad now if I want a birthday gift and then they asked me so as they told me about it then they wanted me to read it to them so now I'm reading it to them and like they're looking at me like see what isn't that a good dad no it's your birthday's right after mine you're gonna get a birthday gift why do I not have to get a birthday gift um but you could see their joy in reading something and wanting to pass it along. Scripture can be like that for us. If we find hope in Scripture that he's made heaven and earth and everything that's in it, and we have access to him by a throne of grace, don't you want to read that together? At times, I need someone else to tell me about that, and at other times, I need to remind other people of that. And actually the way the rest of the psalm breaks out is that God is like that. He is actually the kind of father who doesn't buy gifts for himself but buys gifts for everyone else along the way because then when it narrows in, 
we see at this last part, that we pursue the heart of God in service. And so from help to hope to heart is the last word for the rest of what's summarized. Listen to what God is like. He keeps faith forever. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. So he's made heaven and earth and everything in it. But if you want to get to his heart, see what he does for the least and the last and the left out and the lonely. If you want to press into his heart and what he's really like, in the creation and power and sovereignty he has over all things, you'll discover him best when you see what he does in caring for those who can't care for themselves, in giving freedom to those who are in prison, in helping bring sight to those who are blind, that the God of the universe who made it all doesn't look down on the universe and then say, where's the best and the strongest and the brightest? Those are the ones that I want. But pressing into his heart is to say, who's vulnerable right now? Who's being abused right now? Who's being neglected? Who's being left out? And that he would move heaven and earth to bring redemption to them. The God who made heaven and earth would move heaven and earth to bring justice to the oppressed, to restore sight to the blind, to lift up those who are bowed down, to see the widow and the fatherless and all of their vulnerability and care for them, what a great God. And then if we desire to reflect him, we would then pursue the heart of God in service toward the faithful, oppressed, hungry, and then I say etc. just for the sake of room. <laughs> but it would include all of those things. That we would together as a body be this community that loves our neighbors as ourselves. And when Jesus said, when someone asked him, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Let me tell you about someone who was so abused they were left for dead on the side of the road. And I'll ask you to tell me who you think was a neighbor to him. That's how Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. And as a body, we're called to press into that heart of his, into service towards others. Those who are a part of the community of faith, but those who are oppressed, those who are hungry, those who are bound. And then if we do that together, it is this amazing opportunity where people say, I do feel like I belong. I am welcome here. There is care. There is concern. There's not experts or professionals, but there's life. There's blessing. There's joy in the relationships that we experience when we together pursue this heart. And now in closing, I'll invite you to go to James chapter 1, where we get a New Testament apostle, the very brother of Jesus himself, condensing these few verses in Psalm 146, 
but powerfully challenging all of his readers and by extension all of us who name the name of Christ. James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, that it encourages us to love one another and to seek together the help that you offer, to encourage one another with the hope that you give, and to enable us to see your heart over your creation in your love and care and concern for those who are hurting, for those who are in need, for those who are neglected. We pray that you would help us in being recipients of your grace to then be those who extend your grace to others, who have that grace for those who are next to us, who can welcome and include those who are not yet connected to us, that you would help us to love our neighbors as ourselves that you would help us to reflect you in the way that we live out our faith. We need your grace to do this. We believe that there is blessing and joy and happiness in this, but we need your grace for it to become true and to remain true of us. And so we pray for it in abundant measure. In Jesus' name, amen.